Well, that's motivation, isn't it? Thus says the Lord, if I tell the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you don't speak to dissuade him. Well, the wicked shall die for his guilt, but I will hold you responsible for his death. But if you warn the wicked, trying to turn him from his way, and he refuses, well, he shall die for his guilt, but you shall save yourself. I mean, that's motivation. And by pairing this reading from Ezekiel with Jesus' words in the gospel about telling your brother alone his fault if he sins against you, and then bringing a couple witnesses, and then appealing to the church, it certainly seems that we're to understand that this applies to all of us not just Ezekiel. I do find that Thomas Aquinas is helpful in this respect, speaking about fraternal correction, correction between equals. Of course, the conscience must be formed appropriately. But he said, you must, if you're to engage with someone else about their fault, you must have some inkling that they will actually receive what it is that you're about to offer. If you don't, then it's not charity to bring it up to them. It's not charitable to do that. Still, it suggests responsibility for a brother. Now, it's not as though girls simply get off. Brother, here's a technical term. In Greek, it means born from the same womb. But obviously, we're not talking about biological brothers because the consequence makes that clear. Treat them as a Gentile. It means those who are born from the womb of the church from the font who are reborn in baptism. This has to do with those who are here, baptized Christian brothers and sisters. Notice, though, that while we as individuals have a moral responsibility for others, look at the role Jesus ascribes to the church, the definitive moral voice, the last one before the person is to be treated as outside the family, outside the people of God. I mean, this is why scandals in the church and the more shortcomings of her members are so very damaging. The special authority of her moral voice is compromised, damaged. But apparently the church's duty remains in force. There will be wolves in sheep's clothing, as Jesus said, and there will simply be human failings, as when all the apostles fled Jesus at the end. But he didn't disband them, but forgave them and sent them to be witnesses, his witnesses in the whole world. Forgiveness is written into the very fabric of the church. Without it, the church isn't what Jesus formed it to be. So too it would seem if we fail to speak about morality, right and wrong, good and evil, virtue and sin. I think it was St. Gregory is that a preacher who fails to do that is like a watchdog that doesn't bark. How helpful is a watchdog that doesn't bark? Not very helpful, he said. It's not fulfilling its purpose. So too, he said, is the preacher. I noticed that last week after giving a homily basically on human sexuality. I mean, there were a couple folks not so happy, but I really did receive lots of positive feedback. I mean, from young people struggling with their own sexuality. Yeah, from parents whose kids have been or are caught up in the transgender contagion and their loss. 
you know, from people confronted with co-workers who are urging them just go along to get along and from others. You know, I read that feedback kind of in light of today's readings. People expect a moral voice coming from the church to your duty. Jesus indicates that's her duty. Although it seems that maybe in recent years we've come to hear such content less and are a little surprised or edified when it does come. Which is also why I think I heard many people say that that was brave. No doubt that's an expression of how pervasive gender ideology has become. But I do also think that that's an expression emerging from a sense that the church's moral voice has become reserved, quiet, timid in at least some areas. You know, there was not a word whatsoever of condemnation at all last week, only an articulation of what's obvious in Scripture and in science. You know, if we can't do that, then why are we here? Don't you and I here at JP2 have to ask ourselves what point there is in having a church building if we priests and people aren't striving to live up to the mission Jesus and trust us in this gospel and all the other ones. I mean, we already have large places called gyms or stadiums, which we can be entertained and then go on our way. And we certainly have plenty of echo chambers to affirm us that are called social media. What the world needs, Jesus seems to be saying, is a community intent on being converted and calling others to conversion of heart too. I think there are those who have felt starting a new parish is a burden, which it is, but so is carrying your cross. Others haven't liked the inconveniences, the growing pains and such things, and some have turned away. To be called to build a church, though, is no ordinary affair. God incarnate, the Son of Man, will dwell in the building we are called to construct. I mean, it strikes me that like Abraham and the sac- sacrifice of Isaac or Moses at the bur- burning bush, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. Like the Israelites in the desert, these years leading up to constructing our first project have been and are a journey to make us more worthy of the task at hand. Refining us so our character is more and more authentically able to indicate and bear the name church, which must also include a desire to hear and speak the truth in love, as St. Paul said. And to that end, notice in closing that at least as St. Paul understands that love is love isn't a Christian thing. Love isn't a term waiting for us to determine its content, as though each of us can define it or redefine it as we will. What did he say? Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, kill, steal, covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this thing, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no evil to the neighbor, hence love is the fulfillment of the law. The law, the commandments, the thou shalt and the thou shalt not are contained within love. Love is an expression of right and wrong, good and evil, virtue and vice. 
Love is the pattern to which those who desire to love and to be loved are invited to be conformed, shaped, purified. And by so doing, they, we, become a source, a voice, if you will, of love in the world. 